This is Naked M.I.P. With Masamela Matfumal. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, as we observe the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday weekend with all that is going on, we do well always to learn more and get greater understanding of Dr. King's work and his word. My very special guest today, actually a former professor of mine at the Howard University School of Divinity in Washington, D.C. He is an inductee into Morehouse College's Martin Luther King Jr. College of Preachers, and he is currently Dean of the Morehouse School of Religion. We're here to talk about his latest released and published book, The Polished King, Living Words of Martin Luther King Jr. The Reverend Dr. Joseph Evans joins us on Make It Plain. My brother, God bless you and welcome to MIP. How are you, sir? God bless you, Mark. I'm so happy to be with you and so proud of you. And I think I've told stories and I may have said this to you in the past. Sometimes when I see you, you know, on a large uh, uh, platform on uh, uh, national television, and I know one, one time I was sitting in the airport and uh, you were on, right? And uh, this person didn't know me. And I said, you know, that young man right there looked at us I used to uh, teach him at Howard, and the lady looked at me like as if to say, "You ain't taught that brother. You don't even know who he is." <laughs> so they didn't get it. You know, they didn't get no legs. But nevertheless, I'm very proud of you and what you're doing. Thank you. But I'm not surprised, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, thank you, sir, and I'm I'm grateful uh, for you and the exposure that you gave us all uh, to knowledge and and learning. Um, and, and most importantly, I, I don't think that we can ever stop studying and writing about what we study and write about, particularly MLK uh, himself. Some might say, well, you know, there already been a lot of books, but let's talk about yours and why it's important, particularly now. And then right at this very moment, we are in the midst of a, of a weekend where the country's in great turmoil, our Voting rights are in great turmoil, and we hear Dr. King's voice um, crying out from the spirit, the things that he would say. I, in fact, I was um, listening to a clip just the other day about what Dr. King said about the filibuster um, in the way he said it. And, and that's your point. He, uh, the way he could speak and articulate was incredible. But let, let's start there. The Polished King. That kind of um, that title even kind of comes from an encounter with James Baldwin, does it not? Yes. Well, and and, and uh, let us say this: um, both of us have heard, and more than likely, most of our viewers have heard, to say that so and so is a polished speaker, so and so is mm -hmm. a polished person, and that polished may mean many things to many people, but we've also heard it said of polished preachers. And I believe that uh, when Baldwin first became aware of King, he thought of him differently than most mm -hmm. preachers that he had known. You and I both know, and certainly many in our audience knows that uh, Baldwin was a boyhood preacher with great talent, great gifting, 
but felt that the, at least the church that he had been raised in was too parochial, did not have a universal right. view, had no social justice motif at all, no sense of liberation. And so uh, James Baldwin became very jaded with the church mm -hmm. until he heard King. And he felt that King had the potential to do the things that Baldwin himself believed needed to be done. And so in his meeting King, he, uh, in 1955, I think it was, 1955, he uh, flew to Atlanta. Uh, a mutual friend between King and Baldwin got uh, Baldwin in to meet Dr. King. And Baldwin said, you know, in essence, this man is polished. And with this pessimistic optimism, mm -hmm. as I call it, Baldwin believed that we had an opportunity for, first of all, liberation to us. And secondly, um, redemption of the church that we had preachers now that were doing the work that was necessary for us to, to to experience liberation. I think that's profound. And so that's why we started thinking about calling it the polished king. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and just in terms, we talk about polish, a lot of people, you know, would, would say that that's a term that has more to do um, with intellect and articulation. But you take us down a deeper path. There was something about obviously Dr. King and, and he used big words. I even had a, a, a preacher tell me one time, Mark, you use too many big words. Uh, and I was in a situation where I may have, but even when Dr. King did it, uh, when he said in a position, I always struck when he said it was struck by the fact when he said in a position and nullification at the Lincoln Memorial, those were considered big words, but yet he could speak to people in a way that showed his intellect, his erudition, his education, but still was able to hold everyone's attention, keep us right there. He was never over the heads of anyone. No. In fact, we could have called the book The Poised King. That's mm. another way of getting at polish. So uh, Dr. King did use in a, in a, in a position uh, in a post and nullification, for example, but uh, King knew that those words were used in Lincoln's time, uh, the Nullification Act. Uh, those words were very much Washington words during the Civil War or before. So King knew that. He knew who was listening to him. So by just inserting those words into his civic sermon, um, he was speaking, um, he could speak on multiple levels at one time. And so he knew he was speaking to people, right? Then the Congress and so forth, that, that especially Southerners. I mean, he was just brilliant like that. But um, I think as much as being polished, King's intellect, King's capacity to communicate, as I say, on different levels. Uh, when Martin King walked in a space, Martin King did not uh, have to announce he was there. Mm. Everybody knew he was there. And mm. he did not have to uh, ginger flex he just simply was a brother who understood what he was called to do. And through humility, he tried to do it. I don't think there's going to be many people like Martin King coming in the near future, if ever, to be honest. I mean, I've had enough time to think about it over the years of my life. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be another Martin King. There were people like you and me who do work right. in that spirit, right? Because that's what we have to right. do. Mm -hmm. Martin King was probably a sui generis. He was he was just one of a kind. So um, 
Now, to your other point, Doc, about uh, I think you were going toward how he used words. Right. Um, Martin King used words. Um, and that's the subtitle of the book, The Living Words of Martin King. Um, the premise of the the premise of this book is if you can listen to how King used words, you mm -hmm. can understand his his theology and how he saw God. In other words, for people, you know, not as you and I are trained in um, theological uh, language. Uh, theology for us today is thinking about God as God thinks about God's self, just understanding mm -hmm. God that way. And Martin, I posit in this piece from 1955 through 1968 up to his death, King was basically telling us there was no theology for that Pentecost moment. That was a Pentecost moment from 1955 to 1968. It was something that does not happen. Mm. You know, the secularists like the fifth dimension talked about the age of Aquarius. Everybody knew something was going on, right? The zeitgeist. Right. But King right. probably understood it was a God moment and a God move, and he was caught up in it. And yeah. so there was no theology that he learned. There was no European thought. There was no European theology in the United States that could explain what was going on from 1955 to 1968. So mm. Martin had to basically create a theology as the movement was, was unfolding. And therefore his words that he used, those living metaphors were somehow to help us understand that King was getting beneath the superficial and was trying to explain to us in, in, in real time how God was moving in, in, in this space. And that's what we yeah. were talking about in this book. More MIP after this message. Now, and, and when we talk about living words, you write about his use of, of imagery and metaphor. That's really what we're talking um, about as well, mm -hmm. isn't it? The ability for, for, for a speaker to speak Mm -hmm. And for people to hear his voice and actually visualize mm -hmm. what he's talking about. And sometimes that's something we take for granted. I mean, that's not something the average person does. Most of us just speak directly what we're talking about. But Dr. King, and years ago, I even took a, a poetry class. And that's where I learned that myself in poetry, y'all, if you read poetry, whenever you read a poem, the, the, the goal of the poet is to get you to see in your mind what the words convey in that poem, even so briefly. And, and that's really what we're talking about, giving life to the words. That's what you mean, right? It's exactly what we mean. And we call the book Living Words. I didn't want to write on here, The Polish King, uh, the, the Living Metaphors of Martin Luther King Jr. Because right. most folks either think they know what a metaphor is or they're tired of hearing about metaphors. But if you take the word, and just as you did, and say that the metaphor gives life to words, then that's precisely what Martin was doing. He was giving life to words and he was using words to, first of all, help us to, to hear the, the beauty of his words, but also to reach toward the meaning. If you reach right. toward the meaning, that means you want to know what it means. And so he does that in order to get maybe even his uh, opponents to go around their emotions and get into the spirit at least give a chance to say, oh, that's what he means. And I, I think he was uh, perhaps the most brilliant. I, I think he was the most brilliant 
communicator and maybe the only organic genius. I don't know if he's the only organic genius of the 20th century, you know, theologically, but I, I mean, I think Howard Thurman may have been as well. And there may right. have been a couple of others, but I mean, there's no question King was an organic genius and he understood how to take, and let me just say this and I'll let him pass it back. King was not the first person to use living words in the black tradition. We come mm. from a tradition where black preachers use metaphor. So King inherited, he was a legatee of the tradition, but King understood how to take it to a new level because he had gone off to these institutions. He had learned this theology, but he said, this theology is not gonna work. So mm. I have to take this theology and reconstruct it in a way that it's going to speak to the times we're living in. I would say that King in many ways had the first black theology other than the social gospel theology that, you know, that Adam Clayton Powell and, and that crowd had coming before. So it is a part of the social gospel movement, but they didn't have a theology. And so King mm -hmm. put theology into the movement. So, so King has a movement theology. Let's put it that way. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I want to come back to that because I think that's important. And that's the first time I've ever heard anyone express that, that, King um, had a theology and this was a movement unlike any other. But I, I want to do this because I, I think you and I may get that, but the audience may not. And, and you're the teacher. So walk us through exactly what we mean when we talk about uh, a theology, mm -hmm. um, what that is mm -hmm. and what is is normally considered theology. And and then what makes Dr. King so unique and you're know, so unique and how revolutionary it is for someone like him to pretty much have invented and, and established a new theology for our people. Mm -hmm. Well, everybody has a theology. If you uh, in the barbershops, in our uh, beauty, beauty parlors, we all have a, a, a view of God. Right. We either believe God is this. We don't believe God is this or we're agnostic, we may not even believe God at all, but we have some sense of how to talk about this, this being. The, um, so that's your theology. What, what, what is different is, or in addition to, theology is basically a study. It's just a systematic study of what people think about God and what folks say God has revealed. Mm -hmm. That's basically theology, but everybody's got one. What was different about Kings, and this is to the audience, this is not to you, Reverend Marks, you already know these answers. Uh, this is not to you, it's to our audience. <clears throat> Dr. King went to fancy schools and they taught him fancy stuff. And the fancy stuff he was taught was European stuff. And most of us who go to school up until the last few years where Afrocentrism and Afra, uh, uh, Afrocentrism and Afrocentrism is, is being more of, of what we are now accustomed to in, in, in our generation. But before that, almost everything we learned is, is, was grounded in European biases, European thought, et cetera, et cetera. So Martin King had all of that. But all of a sudden, King is now ahead of this, this movement for civil rights, for voter rights, which, by the way, how in the world? I wonder what he'd be thinking right about now if he were here and we're still fighting for our rights to vote. That is the most absurd, insane, yeah. amoral uh, 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 action that we could possibly um, 
I, I mean, I still I can't even get my mind around it myself, and I'm sitting right here in real time. But Dr. Yeah. King knew that by the time he was moving into this notion of of black people pulling down Jane and Jim Crow and all of the hegemonic constructs that were around us, um, King knew that his theology that he learned didn't prepare him for that. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. not concerned with that. Right. So, yeah, now, yeah. so now King is standing up there and realizing he's literally creating a new the- new understanding of God in the 20th century that there is no question. God is a liberator. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. God is now moving in the spaces. For black people to be treated equally among citizens in this country. We're still striving for it, right? But that's clearly what was going on. So Martin was like, "Wow, this is what the kingdom of God is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a. It's supposed to be a democracy. It's not. Listen, I'm not talking about who's going to heaven and who's not. I'm talking about the king. I'm not call, talking about the kingdom of heaven. And I don't think King mm-hmm. was either. King was talking about the kingdom of God, which means democracy. That every yeah. person on this earth." Is, is is to be treated equally because we are equal. By birth, we're equal, right? Yeah. So he yeah. has looked at this stuff and he says, wow, I got to figure out how to bring all these different people together to understand this movement is a people movement led yeah. by yeah. spirit. More MIP after this message. Um, I, I guess, and, and it, in in a more contemporary lyric by Marley, heaven is here on the earth. And and that's what Dr. King was saying before he said it in in his own way. Uh, it's also interesting, folks, you know, we find as we look at historical figures who get all of the formal education and then turn it against the very system that delivered it to them. You were, there's a part in the book where you talk about how, um, Dr. King studied older preachers the way um, some people, musicians study jazz musicians. You know, you look at people who are generations ahead and people remember, uh, maybe remember this. You take, as the perfect example of that also, you know, people who enjoy Wynton Marsalis. Wynton was a classically trained um, trumpeter. I mean, he played classical music. Uh, only to take that education and, and learn and, and bring um, uh, sort of a another throwback contemporary form of jazz. And so I, I think many of us have had those experiences where we're in the academy, we're in situations where you have to almost learn the way others do it. But then somehow it's really a gift when it empowers you to then say, well, wait a minute, this is an opportunity for me to create something organic mm-hmm. um, and and to do it in that way. And and hearing you um, talk about this, even we talk about black liberation theology, um, Dr. King kind of opened the door, I would say, for a, a James Cone and others later, uh, while he may not have articulated in those words. And I'll be honest with you, Dr. Evans, had he lived, I mean, we don't know what Dr. King <laughs> would have ended up saying at at the end of the day or how that would have evolved. But another area too, you also deal with 
with ethics mm -hmm. uh, and how he was able to fuse the, the living words, the metaphors, the imagery um, with, with ethics that also transcended, an, an ethical view that transcended even um, the, the European mm -hmm. academy. Because look at y'all, we go to, think about when you go to college and we're required to take the, the ethics and the philosophy courses, uh, it's just, it's very antiseptic. And when we were doing it, when we were going through it, I mean, this is not the case at an HBCU necessarily, but in other schools um, that some of us went to, um, justice, social justice, black social justice, you, they don't even come up, which is bizarre to me uh, when you think about it, because that can be a boring, a boring course of study, boring as hell. Uh, but Dr. King took that on as, as well, didn't he? Oh, yes. In fact, um, at, at one point, Dr. King uh, took on uh, uh, Reinhold Niebuhr uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, and others from the what they would call in European world neo-orthodoxy. And Dr. King said, essentially, that's what he was taught, you know, this neo-orthodoxy, this, this was for, for the audience, again, something that, you know, legitimizes uh, white theology in, in a different way just that and yeah dr king was like this this is not this is not speaking to what we need to be talking about because these folks have have created an academic uh ethic right and it's not it's like in a tower somewhere it's not the real world it's not what people are dealing with every day in the squalor of human life right mm -hmm. so king said i don't necessarily know what's next but i know this isn't it right this is not it and so he broke from that, right? So at one point in King's career, I don't know how long he was out of school, but King realized that what he was learning mm -hmm. was not sufficient. Even the even this notion of the ought to do's, what ethics is simply this, what I ought to do, what I should do. Right. Well, that's pretty easy to say, right? If you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth. And, mm -hmm. and now we know in our current situation in the United States politically, uh, even the European ethic is not working now. The Congress yeah. can't even come to an answer right? because they are afraid of losing power. They're afraid of losing demographic strength and so forth and so on. So, you know, if you were to ask me if Dr. King perhaps were living today, and by the way, it, the, when I was writing this and, and doing the work, I thought I knew something about King and I did know a little bit about King. Mm -hmm. But when I started really, really looking into King, King is a metaphor. He's a parable himself. I mean, you may have seen that. I wrote that somewhere in the book. King himself is a parable. King knew so many. There's so many layers to King. Yeah. That's why yeah. I say he's a, a genius. Um, but King predicted, essentially, many times that if the United States did not like where do we go from here, chaos community, he predicted that if we did not deal with guaranteed income or full employment, that this nation would implode. He told yes. us that. Look what's happening. We're imploding because the ethics, the European ethics, it doesn't work for this time. They don't have an ethical position, construct, whatever word you want to use for these times. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and to your point, the European models don't work because I didn't even think that that 
their ethical standards called for inaction and stagnation. They, they, it just literally will not move. And, and we're at a, a place of utter uh, dysfunction. Um, and white elites never thought, Mark, we would get to this point where we had enough people that would call them on an ethic that didn't even portend to us or for us anyway. Any people who are marginalized are not included in this, this thing, right? It's played out. That's not going to work now. So we have to... <laughs> We have to create a whole new thing. Now, I posit that the black church, Cone's theology, King's theology, maybe is not perfect, but if we're not studying that liberation motifs, African women's theologies, African this, you know, we're not going to make it, in my opinion. <laughs> right. No, 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 we are, we are. But, you know, what's also timely uh, about the book, Dr. Evans, what is the, the terminology we're hearing every day now in the news? January 6th, the big lie, the big lie, the big lie. You, you know, uh, uh, almost, um, well, really providentially, you talk about King confronting the lie in his day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so um, there are several people, you know, Eddie Glide talked about the lie in, the, in his Baldwin piece, and I had already started, started working with Eddie was working on his book. I was already starting to work on King. And I had also come across the big lie, right? And um, and uh, King King's King's movement was a response to white mythology, which is the big lie, right? And and so we had all of this white mythology, like you can pick anything you want, audience, family. You can pick anything you want. You can talk about you know George Washington never told a lie. He cut down a cherry tree, tell some but he owned all them slaves. So we know that's not true. So we had all these mythologies that we've been taught and King's movement was a confrontation to the big lie, this self-absorbed inability to admit that you're wrong, right? And King um, and his meetings with Baldwin, his initial meetings with Baldwin, that became the theme that Martin King represented a threat to, to, to the lie, to white supremacy, white mythology, white um, stranglehold on, on people. Um, some years ago, I don't know how this happened, but you know, you learn things at different stages. You may have like read it, but you don't really grasp it. And, you know, the big lie is not just in the United States. The big lie is, is, is global. I mean, it's global. Uh, white yeah. mythology is yeah. global. And until we understand that, uh, to your point, I would have liked to have seen what King would have done after 1968 with the Nkrumahs and with the African leaders, with people mm -hmm. from the diaspora. Yeah, I think that's why he's not here. Uh, because I think the people who, you know, like they got think tanks up in D.C., all up and down K Street and all over the place, as you know, they, right. they get paid to think about what we're going to think right. about and they stay right. ahead of us. And so I think that King would have been a global figure. Um, I think I think he may have met Malcolm in some spaces, too. And I think that that would have been a different partnership had, had Malcolm been living. You know, obviously, Malcolm left us even before King. But um, right. 
And if I may, um, I don't know if that's germane exactly to, to what we were talking about, but I would ask the people to go on YouTube or somewhere and look at King's um, sermon at Stanford University mm-hmm. in 19, it, I think it was just a few months before he was killed. It's in the book. If you want to know about the polished king and him uh, and his layers and his ability to project out into the future, I think that's the best public um, speech sermon I've ever heard him give. Uh, and I would love for everyone to to take the time to go see that. I don't remember the name of it right now, but you can Google it. It's just to put King at Stanford. and It'll come up. Um, yeah. 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 No, you're right. That that is a a, a powerful presentation on his part, Doctor Evans. Considering the the moment that we're in, as we've discussed, um, how would you most like readers of your book to be to be impacted? Mm-hmm. What is it? How would you like? What impact would you like your book to have mm-hmm. on our people at this moment? Okay. So let me say it this way, because I, I, I didn't know you were going to ask me that, but I have been thinking <laughs> about it. And I'm going to try to speak from the raw, to, from my spirit to you, brothers and sisters, a couple mm-hmm. of things. The first thing is, um, real talk, there have not been enough Black folks writing about King, number one. That was my real issue for, for years. We had a lot of people talking about King, but they were not black people talking about a black man. Uh, And so that radically changes how we see him, if you will. I'm not saying that white folks can't write about black folks, but what I am saying is uh, most white folks was not standing in my little house in 1968 when I was like six years old. And my mother and grandmother was standing in the floor in front of our uh, black and white TV crying Mm -hmm their eyes out because they mm. killed the man. And while mm. I'm standing there, I'm looking up at our wall and there were two pictures on the wall, this one wall. It was a picture, yeah. it's a picture <laughs> of a blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus. We took that yeah. down. And uh, yeah, yeah. And the other picture was of, 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 of Dr. King. I'm looking at Dr. King. I'm looking at Jesus. I'm looking at my mama and dad, my, my grandmama Mimi and, and my mother were crying. And my, my grandma Mimi was saying, I knew they would kill him. I knew they would kill him. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking up at the wall, I'm six years old. And this is what's in my head. They killed Jesus <laughs> and they killed Martin. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. And so that's been with me a long time. But I finally got the courage to write about Martin King, because I said, ain't nobody black talking about black people and we can't do that. So this book in itself, brothers and sisters, is a protest act, a resistance mm-hmm. to empire. So if you can just think of that, the second thing I want you to do is to is to, is to to read it on it, because it's really a simple read, I think. I did everything I could to make it very, very easy to read. Um, and read it with understanding that we as black people, King being representative of us, this brother changed a couple things. He changed America, whether they want to admit it or not, forever. Mm-hmm. And he changed how you and I can see the divine. And the divine 
is on the side of the oppressed, the poor, the marginalized. If you don't get nothing else, you're going to get that. So if you had a view of God that he's kind of like, you know, this God is for the big guys and, and all of that, I don't think that's going to stand up after you read the Paulist King. Amen. Amen. No question about it, folks. So we invite you uh, to read the book. And I, and I think Dr. Evans is right, too. Um, people talk about days of service for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, the King family even calling this year for more of a day of action, no commemoration without legislation. But I also think we owe it to ourselves uh, to enlighten and educate ourselves about what he was doing, what he was was really um, all about. My own, as you all are aware, my own personal thesis most of my life, going back to my days in high school, is that you know Dr. King himself is a a an example in our time of um the emulation of a, a christ-like life even down to his cruise own crucifixion and so i've you know in my own theology it's been the point has been to say it is uh, dr Davis will say his book is an, is an easy read um i would argue that it is easier than we might think and closer to home to live a life like Dr. King, even when we may not expect to. I don't know Dr. Evans that he expected to. Um, and sometimes those are the most prophetic witnesses and the greatest leaders. Not though we got a whole lot of folk who aspire to leadership. I want to be the national leader. Um, but you know, if, if folks, if Dr. King was alive today, that's what we would say to him: get your Twitter account, but build a national organization. And would have skipped over Montgomery uh, and the power. Um, that that's what Christ did. He went from from township to township, locale to locale, um, touching people there. We don't do that anymore, you know, uh, but that's a whole nother thing. So, folks, I, I encourage you to 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 read this book, uh, to understand it, uh, gift it to others. The Polished King. Do do check it out. Available wherever you get your books and wherever books are sold. And I'm sure you all will agree with me um, that our young people at Morehouse and in the Atlanta University Center are very blessed to have my former professor uh, with them to teach them and, and guide them. Uh, Dr. Joseph Evans, the dean of the Morehouse School of Religion, the polished king, ladies and gentlemen, living words of Martin Luther King Jr. There's, and that, that's, there's a reason he we we lift him up have a holiday he was a great man because he did move us and no one else has been able to speak to our people in in the way that he did and influence us and even today the very sound of his voice and the timber in his baritone just just moves us and touches us in a way no other has and we we, we owe it to his ancestry to write about him to read about him dr evans is is right um we need to be writing about our experiences and our great ones ourselves. We thank you, Dr. Evans. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. As well to you and thank you, Brother Nashe. Amen. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.